Okay, um, my name is Dave Dora, and I've been a parishioner here at uh, St. Edward's since 1982, but not fully engaged since 1982, which I'll get to. I'm going to divide my uh, talk to you into three parts. The first is, what is my faith and work background? The second part will be about a crisis events at the company I work for that happened between 2008 and 2010. And the third part will be about how my reliance on my faith got me through these crises. So to begin with, uh, when I was growing up, I never went to church. My uh, parents were not practicing uh, any faith at the time. And my brother and I, uh, as a consequence, never went to church until uh, in 1970, which was 42 years ago, I married a Catholic girl, <laughs> who's uh, my wife Karen is in the back. And over that time period, I was a priest for 21 years. I, I went to church uh, Easter and Christmas, mostly out of respect for my wife, and also being polite. You know, I didn't uh, want to get on the bad side. <laughs> Uh, during the, uh, my late 20s, 30s, and early 40s, and my mid-40s, I was chasing what you would call the uh, essential American secular dream. And by that point in my life, I had a fairly decent job. Uh, my wife and I lived here in Dana Point. Uh, I had two cars, uh, 2.1 kids, 1.31 dogs, you know, that sort of thing. But what happened uh, after 21 years of marriage was there was a crisis at work uh, that impacted me and it, it showed me in a very clear way how empty and unfulfilling chasing the secular dream was. And it was now that I had to look at uh, what I was doing and I found that I had turned my focus away from my family. My life was out of balance, and it wasn't fulfilling at all. 21 years ago, and it was after about a year actually, but about 21 years ago I joined RCIA and went through and had my sacraments. And after that, I found that my family life was more enjoyable, it was much more balanced. And oddly enough, when I stopped focusing on work so much, things went better. Not only at work, but also for my career. So things, things were improving. Now we come forward. What is my work background? I uh, worked for Kawasaki Motors Corporation for 38 years. Now Kawasaki is a power sports company. They, pulse, they sell motorcycles, uh, jet skis, ATVs, and utility vehicles to a network of dealers across the country. I started there in 74 uh, as a computer programmer go forward uh, 30 years, and I was Executive Vice President of Corporate Operations, Chief Operating Officer, and a member of the company's Board of Directors. In that role, I was the Senior American Manager responsible for representing all American staff to the Japanese management of the company. Uh, Kawasaki was a subsidiary of the parent company in Japan. Also, I was the President's Principal Business Advisor, had several roles that was performing. 
Between 2006 and 2011, when I had this senior position, I was responsible for five of the company's ten divisions, uh, 17 managers, 15 supervisors, and about 270 of the staff of the company, or about 45% of the 600 employees. So it was uh, a, a fairly challenging job, and that gives you kind of a flavor of where I was at that point. Now, in 2007 through 2009, the industry, the motorcycle industry, went into the Great Recession. Between seven and nine, the sales of motorcycles and ATVs, this is excluding watercraft and utility vehicles, went from 1.1 million to 500,000, which is a 55% sales drop in the industry. Kawasaki went from 210,000 units to 95,000 units, a 55% drop in retail. Company gross revenue went from 1.8 billion to 900 million, a 50% drop in revenue. And in response to that, I was asked to essentially save the company. I'm the senior guy, along with a team of about five other executives. So the two biggest things we did as a group were we reduced the overall fixed operating expenses of the company from 140 million to 65 million. It's a 54% drop. And then we had to lay off people. Now normally with that amount of decline in revenue and, and sales, you'd be talking about cutting the company in half, taking 600 employees and, and cutting it down to 300. But through some things I'm going to talk about, we ended up reducing by 200 people through two different layoffs. Now, when, when you spent 30 years in management, there's no roadmap for this kind of crisis. Uh, but all the people that had this kind of crisis were from the Great Depression. And they've long since retired. There's nobody to ask. There's a proverb, sort of a business proverb, that says it's best to go down an unknown road with an experienced traveler. There are no experienced travelers. So, and as uh, our pastor sometimes said in a crisis, uh, you know, I thought I thought I was just going to cruise on through easy to retirement. Oh no! But our pastor sometimes says this isn't the cruise I signed up for. But that's where I was. Uh, I was right in the middle of this challenge with no roadmap. So the first challenge came in May 2009. And here's, the, here's the challenges and here's what happened. First off, you're dealing with two different cultures. You're, you're dealing with a Japanese culture and an American culture. And you're not purely American in the way management, the way you function. And you're not purely Japanese. You're a hybrid. And... The challenge, one of the biggest challenges besides the hybrid culture is the Japanese all have all final decisions. Even though I'm the senior American, I don't have the final vote. And one of the things I ask them is it people or money? What's the target? People or money? And thank goodness they said money first. Because that gave me the leeway to conserve people. Somehow. So in that first layoff in May 9, we let 100 employees go, 
And the way we preserved 45 to 50 jobs was we implemented an across-the-board 6% payroll cut, also eight furlough days, which is where people don't work, and you don't get paid for it. So that's an effective 10% salary reduction. And we controlled overtime, which essentially meant we had no overtime. But we saved 45 to 50 people's jobs. The biggest downside in this is the emotional trauma. Now, I said I've worked there 38 years. Kawasaki doesn't have a lot of turnover. At the time we started, 50% of the company is over 10 years of seniority. Uh, roughly 20% of the company is 25 years or more of seniority. And when you work for 30 years with people, you know, Monday through Friday, hours a day, year after year, you spend as much time at work and with those people as you do with your family, and they become your brothers and sisters. And when you have to let people go that you have known for 30 years, it is very, very traumatic. And that was probably the biggest emotional trauma of me. I asked the Japanese, I said, is this all that you need to do? I don't want to do two layoffs, I only want to do one. But in August 2009, literally three or four months later, they came back from their summer meetings in Japan, and they walked in and they made what I call the August demand. They called me into an office and said, we want you to fire 10% of the management of the company this month. And I said, no. <laughs> and a little more about that later. Um, the other challenge was the second layoff and what is its effect on morale. You do a first layoff, the people who are left have survivor's guilt, but they also have the attitude that they're still committed to the success of the company. But you handle second layoff incorrectly and you can flip most of the people from staying committed to the company to saying to themselves, as soon as the economy improves, I'm out of here. I don't want anything more to do with this place. So that's one of the big challenges. The Japanese also said, we don't like furlough days. So no more furlough days. So I convinced them to do basically two things. One was called a voluntary separation agreement. Now the first layoff, management had control. The second layoff, I said, let's give the employees, let's tell them we need to drop 100 people and give them a voluntary separation package and let them decide. And we got 95 takers. The challenge there is though the management gives up control to the employees. And I taught the Japanese a brand new concept. It was called the Swiss Cheese Organization. And they, they didn't even know what Swiss Cheese was and I had to describe it that in a management control layout, you control how you contract the organization. But when you give up control, you don't know who's going to go. You don't know if you're going to lose one whole department. So you have to take it on faith that you'll, you'll get the right kind of people. And then you figure out how you're going to contract once all the holes are there. Also, um, I convinced the Japanese to do a bridge medical program for everybody 59 to 65. Which essentially means that there was a lot of people who were close to retirement but that they couldn't afford to, they weren't Medicare age yet, and they couldn't afford COBRA. 
So the program was the company would pay, keep them on the medical plan, pay the COBRA until they reached 65. And the Japanese, uh, the first time I proposed it, oh, by the way, my staff, when I came up with the idea, said that my odds of getting the Japanese to agree to it were negative 50%. They didn't give me positive odds. And the first time I proposed it, I got a pretty strong no. But after four proposals and some modifications, they finally said yes. And we ended up in April 2010 um, letting 100 employees go. So how did I survive all this? I start with my faith. Uh, thanks to RCIA and church and lecturing, uh, uh, faith is, is fairly strong, I hope, I mean, strong enough to weather this. Um, I read one time someplace that faith is like a muscle. You don't exercise it when the crisis comes, you don't have it. So my faith was first and foremost. My wife's support. Uh, Lost count of the times when we went down to the beach to watch the waves. <laughs> and she'd collect pebbles, I'd sit in the sand and stare at the surf. Uh, walking the harbor, and, and her listening to me ad nauseum about trials and tribulations of work. Prayer. Prayer was a big part. Every Sunday, I, I prayed for something, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. And what I tied into is what is called the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, in RCIA, the first year I was there, they hand, when we go to the Christian witness, they hand out this, this page. It's called Seven Gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not exactly like the Catechism or some things you can find on the internet, but on this front page, I've listed the Christian witness RCIA points about gifts of the Holy Spirit. And their wisdom perception of God in all things, understanding, deep compassion for others, knowledge, courage, fortitude, knowledge of the desire to learn, reverence, profound respect, right judgment, discernment, making decisions, and wonder about the transcendent application for a plan of creation. And how I used it was this, it's on the back side. For wisdom, every Sunday for three years, I prayed to God for wisdom and guidance in all known and unknown challenges coming. It's quite honest, I didn't know where to go. I understood, and I always kept in mind that, that we're not dealing with numbers in this company, we're dealing with people. And you run into managers who have no regard for people. You need, you need 300 people laid off, just lay them off. But I always knew you're dealing with people's lives, their homes, their families, the kids in school, the kids in college, everything that goes along with that. And one of my efforts was to try to preserve as many jobs as possible. Courage to tell the owners of the company no, when I knew what they wanted was wrong, or not in the best interest of the company. And you have to have moments, and I had them, where you have to be willing to lay your job on the line. So I'll go back to that August demand to lay off 10% of the managers. I told them flat no. They asked me again in September. I told them no and, you know, hell no. Mm -hmm. They came back to me in uh, October and I said to the president and the senior Japanese guy, I said, fine. 
You want to lay off 10% of the managers? Here's the org chart. My name goes at the top of the list. And I never heard about it after that. Because that was laying my job on the line. And I had to do that about three times over that process. Knowledge, the ability to admit to yourself you're in unknown territory with no past experience to guide you and to reach out to others for information, suggestions, to talk to anybody who's been in any kind of similar situation and to listen and learn from everybody, just everybody. Reverence, the trust that God is with you and if you listen, he will help you. And sometimes I close my office door and I just sit there quietly and just think about the problem. And I read this. And I'd sit there for an hour and just contemplate. And answers would come. Right judgment to make proposals that achieve the staff reduction goals, satisfy the needs of the company, and treat all employees with respect and passion, especially those who are being laid off. Especially those. Because it's tra traumatic for people who've been with the company for 30 years and then they get laid off through no fault of their own. And lastly, wonder. And the biggest wonder was at the conclusion of these two, two years, I was in humble amazement that many of the people as they left from both these layoffs came to me and our management team and thanked us profusely for showing them respect, deep respect as they left the company. The last thing I want to read you is a scripture passage, which I found about a year ago, which I think sums up part of what I just talked about. It's from the letter of James in the New Testament, and it's chapter 1, verse 2 and 6. It says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that a double-minded man unstable in all his ways will receive anything from the Lord. Thank you very much. Any questions? Mm -hmm. Is there anything you'd like to ask? Dave, what was your... Uh, so how did the Japanese react to you? Were there cultural shifts that occurred in light of the your influence, or you're working with them, influenced by the faith principles that you pointed out to us? Um, yes and no. Uh, I had my principles, I had my goals, which I talked about. The Japanese have a very different culture, right. and they don't lay off people, and they know that they were going to have to have a layoff. This is they just almost cannot tolerate it emotionally. And uh, one of the things I did was, was some of these very tough challenges is give them ways and talk to them 
so that they could accept what needed to happen. Um, one meeting I was in early on before the first layout, I calculated without some of these things I did to preserve jobs what the total impact of the layout was. And when I laid it out in one meeting with the Japanese president, and this is not an exaggeration, he turned white. The, the blood drained from his face. I was so stunned I, I couldn't believe it. And uh, he looked, looked like he was going to be sick. But it's this deep emotional trauma that he was going through too. So sometimes that, that difference in culture was an obstacle, and sometimes I used it to my benefit to, to get what I thought was the best for me. 